This is Stories with a Voice, a podcast focused on spreading understanding and compassion about serious topics. This season is called Students of Struggle, a series of interviews with college students and affiliates about their personal experiences with suicide. The goal of sharing these stories is to increase hope and empathy. The following episode includes a discussion about suicide, anxiety, depression, and feelings of hopelessness, which may be triggering for some. Safety always comes first. If you or someone you know is not safe and needs help, please reach out and call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is available 24 hours a day at 1-800-273-8255. The views and opinions of this podcast do not represent any organization and are solely the opinions of the participants. I'm your host, Virginia Henry. To begin this series, I sat down with Dallas Johnson, a mental health professional who counsels with struggling college students. Johnson is a psychologist. He's been working at a university for five years as a counselor at their student health center. Before, he practiced privately for five years. Prior to his private practice, he worked at the Veterans Administration Hospital. Throughout his career, he has worked with numerous individuals who struggle with thoughts of suicide. In a short amount of time, he shared the insights he has gained through that professional work. First of all, what brings you hope? What brings me hope? Yeah. Probably relationships. I think more than anything else, if I'm feeling connected with the people around me, then everything else can make sense or at least be worth enduring if I'm connected with the people around me. So on the flip side of that, what makes you feel hopeless? I would say when I feel alone, just quite, just the opposite of that, of the connection is if I feel that I don't matter to anyone or especially the people who are close to me, I really nothing else seems to make sense or doesn't seem like it would really make a difference. On the more personal experience side Mm -hmm. or professional experience side, have you ever encountered anyone or you yourself experienced thoughts of, of suicide? So I get to deal with that almost every day I come to work. Many of the students that I work with And in the past, when I was in private practice, many of my clients or at the VA hospital, many of them were beginning to experience that they didn't matter. That their existence really wasn't that important to those around them. And they were in a lot of pain. So to be in a lot of pain and feel like they don't matter to anybody, that's a really difficult place to be in. What would you say from your experience and your education Mm -hmm. leads or causes somebody to go down that path of thought? Usually it's it starts with pain. Like a lot of people like to think of pain as something that's just purely physical. If I if I break a bone, that's really gonna hurt. 
what people don't understand is the same area of the brain, it's called the insula, it's one of the places. If that area lights up in my brain, I'm in pain, and it lights up if I break a bone. It also light, lights up if I'm not feeling connected with others. It also lights up if I'm not feeling like I contribute to the world. It hurts. It causes this pain, and it's every bit as painful inside the brain as a broken bone. So often it can start there. Something happens where I, I'm just not, I'm not making it in school, or I'm not doing well at work, or something like that, well, that causes a lot of pain. And if I can't find a way through managing that pain, eventually my brain or anybody's brain is going to start going, we've got to resolve this pain. And eventually it can hit on the idea of, well, maybe if I was just no longer alive, maybe if I could just not wake up in the morning. And it starts there. And so then the, the thoughts of suicide begin to, to creep in ironically to give hope to alleviate the pain and that's almost always what suicide is about is finding some sort of hope that the pain will finally end because I can't find a solution here. Would you say that the individuals who are in this place and, and are considering that they see suicide as a option for pain relief or an I, escape from pain? I love those both of those pain relief, escape from pain, it's, it would be hard to find anybody who actually attempts or completes a suicide who wasn't in enormous amounts of pain. And often it's that invisible kind of pain. Nobody else can see it because on the outside they look whole. They look like their body's intact. What's the problem? But inside their heart is broken. And to me, that means inside their brain, they're experiencing enormous levels of hurt and anguish, and it's just unrelenting. I know that there are, this is more of, on the perhaps negative side, there are lots of beliefs or myths or mm -hmm. common thought processes surrounding this topic of that you know, well, they just, they want to die or they're being selfish. Mm -hmm. And what would you say in regards to those typical reactions that people have? I think anybody who has known someone who has attempted or completed a suicide will very quickly understand that those false assumptions just don't fit with reality, that these are almost inevitably people who actually deeply care about others. They deeply worry about the effect. And these they're just not selfish people. These are people in enormous pain. And every single person, if you get the pain high enough, they're going to want relief and their brain is going to seek desperately for a solution. So anybody who completes a suicide, and we know this from something called psychological autopsies, like we go back and figure out what did this person who completed suicide, what was going on for them? And inevitably, we find enormous levels of pain with, with the person having no hope that they can relieve that pain. I think that's it's so powerful to realize one of the phrases that you said really stood out to me of these individuals oftentimes care very deeply about others mm -hmm. and the impact that they have and sometimes 
I know from personal experiences that I've had, a lot of times people feel like they would, the world would be better off without them because that's what they see as the, the best alternative to the way that their reality is going right now. Right. Look at the, look at the pain and suffering I'm causing the people around me because I'm struggling and boy, I want so much for them to feel better. And if, if they don't have to carry me, I'm, I'm one less burden they have to carry that will be better for them. So just like you're saying, often, even though it doesn't seem like it from the outside, they're actually, even in trying to complete a suicide, they're trying to make other people's lives better. Now it's distorted. Obviously, anybody in that much pain, the thinking is distorted and they're not going to. But that's actually the place where it's coming from, is deep caring, compassion for others, not wanting to cause them further pain and anguish. With that, I mean, kind of lens or perspective that we can have on this issue, what are the most helpful things that people can do mm-hmm. in order to prevent this from happening or help somebody who's mm-hmm. in that dark state of mind. Right. And there are things that we can do also with the understanding that none of us can take responsibility for someone else's ultimate decision of whether or not to complete a suicide because there are just factors none of us can see fully inside of another human being. So in learning how to help others, it's important to also understand that ultimately we don't get to decide for them and to not take that responsibility upon ourselves. But instead realizing there's, I'd mentioned those psychological autopsies before, and there's four common factors that we know always are present in someone who completes a suicide. So it turns out if we can, if we can begin to affect one of these four factors, then we take away someone completing suicide. We won't necessarily take away people's thinking about suicide, but we'll take away their attempt at completing a suicide. So some of these are, if somebody, one, they're in enormous pain and they they see no hope of resolving it. And that actually could be physical, like something external, a physical experience, or more often emotional pain. And again, to the brain, they're the exact same thing. Same neural circuitry lights up for both. So if someone's in pain without hope, of resolving it. If someone believes that they have, that they don't contribute to society, that's a real risk factor. Like people need to know that they have something worthwhile to give. Another is I don't matter to anybody. If I don't matter to anybody, that's a big risk factor. But the moment I realize I do, then boy, I'm just going to make a even though I'm still in a lot of pain, suicide, it's no longer really an option. Even if I'm still thinking about it frequently, I matter to someone. So, and the other one is just at this idea that I have some tools. I have some ways. So even if I can't alleviate the pain that I'm experiencing, I have a few tools that I can use to help me at least manage it or decrease it a little bit. So anything we can do to give people tools to help them realize that they are of worth, they do contribute to let them know they matter to us, um, that 
there is there is hope for the future any of those is going to greatly decrease someone's likelihood of following through with thoughts of suicide now what would you say the value is of being qpr trained it's not Mm -hmm. extensive it's it's not a full-blown intervention you know they're not being trained as a psychologist or anything like that but would you say that that has value I would say it has tremendous value because one thing QPR is going to train again people to understand that people are hurting it's going to take away that stigma of this is some selfish person who's trying to get attention or or taking the easy way out it's going to help help people understand that is not true (laughs) so it's going to begin to develop a lot of compassion for these people so in and also learning that the the cue is questioning and i'm by the way i'm not qpr trained i have lots of training in in helping people deal with suicide but qpr is something that's being offered and you clearly are one of the trainers so you know this better but what i love about it is that it empowers people to know that it is okay to ask questions it is perfectly safe to ask someone if i see someone in pain if i were to see you in pain and see that wow I can see that you're going through a lot. Like, I know that a lot of people, when they're going through as much as you're going through, they might sometimes just think that life's not worth living. Do you ever experience that? It's just a question. And a lot of people are worried, like, well, what if they say yes? Well, you just made a human connection with that person. And that is one of the factors that we know. If we can pull that that factor away where they now know that they matter to somebody in the universe that you cared you asked them a question that dramatically actually decreases the likelihood that they will attempt a suicide they matter to somebody just because someone was willing to ask them a question so talking about suicide decreases the likelihood of a completed suicide even if it doesn't decrease suicide thoughts it decreases the likelihood of a completed suicide so even the cue, if that's all that someone did is just be willing to ask someone, oh, wow, you look like you're in a lot of pain. Do you ever think that life's not worth living? That's just tremendously connecting and helpful. I've definitely heard a lot of people who are fearful of talking about it or saying the word, even even just mentioning it because mm-hmm. they're afraid of causing somebody to you know break down or to facilitate it and so I think that that is it's so important to have clarity on that to actually Mm -hmm. say no if you if you talk about it you can form that connection with somebody and make them feel safe that they're able to talk about it with you Mm -hmm. instead of feeling like they have to bury it and and feeling ashamed Mm -hmm. if they maybe don't have a safe connection Mm -hmm. what could they do if we're just talking about the individual themselves who is suffering from these thoughts one is we are social creatures like there is there's no ability for us to do this alone like none of us like if we know this from lots of research lots of studies is the moment we get into isolation our brains literally begin to atrophy 
our organs wow. begin to atrophy. Like we are designed for social connection. We need that eye to eye, that voice to voice. We need these kind of, even the smells of each other, like we need this. And some cultures really appreciate that. But we need the touch. If I'm not getting those, my brain begins to atrophy. Wow. Like it's, it's an actual physical effect. Like we're social creatures. So for anybody to think they can do this in isolation, it is the isolation that adds to the problem. So we need to, and that's another great thing about QPR is its, it's whole purpose is to make these social connections, to help people connect, to help people feel and be known, be seen in the universe, that they're valuable. So speaking of these, these connections and the effort that, you know, if perhaps before somebody feels entirely destitute, you know, to get out and, mm-hmm. and try to have some human interaction, which is, I mean, right. it's so interesting because I know as a person who um, struggles sometimes with anxiety or depression, mm-hmm. and one thing that my counselor has suggested to me is, or pointed out, what do you want to do in those moments? It's like, well, I want to isolate myself. Right. That, that, that's, the, that's the inclination, the, the, almost the instinct to get away from all of this stress and he explained that I mean sometimes it's good to limit stimulus in our lives sometimes it's good to cut out some extra stuff that's weighing us down right but complete isolation is mm-hmm. actually going to make it worse so sometimes it's important for us to realize I know this is what I'm feeling and I want to mm-hmm. run away but I need to reach out at least to somebody Right. So that I have at least maybe one person instead of just completely closing myself off. Right. And so speaking of those those connections where somebody could feel like they could reach out, what are some of the biggest factors in making a connection feel safe for someone? I think confidentiality is is really important. And this is a tricky one because if somebody tells me and, and I'm, of course, as a psychologist, I'm I'm the one talking to them after they've told somebody they cared about. But if if I'm just someone talking to a friend and they tell me about their thoughts and their pain, it's so important that I keep and respect their story. I'm never going to agree to not get them help. Like if I'm worried for their life, I'm sorry, your life is too valuable to me. Like I'm... I, I don't have the ability to deal with this. I'm going to, to talk somebody or help, help you get connected with somebody who can talk to you. So, like, but that confidentiality, knowing, boy, if I tell you my story, that you're not going to share that with anybody else, like, other than a professional, if that's needed to connect me with someone, but that you're not going to tell other people, that's huge. Like, that cre- that begins to create that that beginning trust and security that, okay, this person knows things about me. They're still interacting with me. I, I haven't disgusted them with my thoughts that I don't want to live anymore. That's huge. And they're not telling other people that this is what I'm thinking. They're letting me decide who to talk to. So feeling almost a sense of control. Right. And so I think 
that aspect of it is I still control my story mm-hmm. and my information, but I have a safe friendship with you where I can share those things and know that it's in a safe place. Um, and free, kind of like a judgment-free zone almost. Right. That you're not going to think of me less. Mm. That I sometimes think suicide is, is maybe the way I can resolve my pain. That you're not going to think less of me for that. And maybe even say, me too a little bit. You know, Maybe I don't have the same thoughts as you, but sometimes I don't know what to do with my pain either. I can't find the, just the right solution. Wow, that's such a powerful connection. What you said there I think is really, really powerful because, and maybe this is just my perception of sometimes the culture that we have um, either at a church school or in maybe in any religion that is focused on trying to better ourselves, we may have a little bit of a perfectionism um, complex. Right. And we want to appear strong mm-hmm. and we want to appear that we can do it and that we're good. And you just said, sometimes sharing that you also struggle Mm -hmm. can make a world of difference for somebody. Yeah, especially if if you're looked at that one who who has it together, you're the one who's got it all figured out. You, You get yourself together in the morning and they can see this. And then for you to say, I struggle. Sometimes I don't believe in myself. Sometimes I, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. Sometimes I don't know how to resolve my pain or to feel of worth to others. Wow, that's just really, really powerful for this person who's like, what? <laughs> I thought I was alone here. I thought I was the one that, because I can't always get up in the morning. And Wow, this, it can really shift that perspective for them. One thing that I was thinking about as you were talking a few minutes ago, like how can someone help themselves? And I didn't give you a good answer. <laughs> I said, don't. <laughs> don't help yourself, let others. But there is, a, there is a really powerful technique. So if there's a pattern in my life where I'm going into those deeper, heavier places where I'm not feeling connected with others, I can plan for that. I can plan for that. If I was going to run a marathon, it's not usually wise to go run a marathon all alone. I'm going to make sure that there's support personnel. I'm going to probably try and run that marathon where I know that they have potty stops along the way, (laughs) where they have some nutrients and some water along the way so that I can be refilled because my body is going to be depleted during that process. So I need others. And I know I'm not going to be capable when I'm running the marathon. I'm not going to be capable of gathering those resources during the marathon. And so just like I would plan for running a marathon and making sure that things are set up along the way, I can do the same thing if I know I go through periods of darkness, periods of high levels of anxiety or depression. I can teach the people around me to say, hey, sometimes I go through periods of darkness or heaviness, and would you be willing to help me out during these times? Here's some of the things you can look for. You can see some of the things I start doing, you might see that I start withdrawing and say, I don't need, I just need to be alone. That's fine if it's once a week, but when it's happening every night, would you be willing to not let me do that? And even though I say, leave me alone, that you won't leave me alone. 
even if you don't talk, you grab your books and you come study next to me, even if we're not talking, because then my brain can't completely let go of the idea that I do matter. Here's this person who's nagging me and annoying (laughs) me and... But I asked them to do this. I asked them. I wanted this water station at mile 24 (laughs) because I knew I'd need it. And so I planned for it. And so that's something someone can do, especially if they have a history of suicide thoughts, is plan for it. Because whatever's causing the pain, it may come back. Mm -hmm. And so plan for how can I use the people around me in a healthy way, in a proactive way. And that empowers them, too, because most people love being part of that plan. It helps them feel like they matter and that they have an ability to help people. Right. And so in a way, you're you're really helping others if you ask for help. It's really easy to forget that in those moments of darkness and to think no one, you know, no one wants to be bothered by me. Right. I know I've always been very glad to, and you know, and just like, oh my gosh, please let mm-hmm. me help you. Right. If I know that somebody's struggling. Right. That's very wise to say you can plan ahead of time and ask some of those safe connections or people that you mm-hmm. know and, and feel like you can trust. Set up that little, that little plan. You mentioned, you know, if someone says, oh, I just want to be alone or, you know, those types, if it's happening every night. So what are some of the perhaps signals mm-hmm. or warning signs that somebody is struggling? Often there's many, and QPR teaches a lot of these. So I, I don't want to kind of go over everything that QPR does because they do an amazing job of looking at those signs. But the reality is the majority of people who show these signs will never complete a suicide. So it's important that just because someone's engaging in something that could be a sign of suicide doesn't mean they're going to complete it. So we just, nobody knows exactly when someone's going to reach that point where their pain is just so overwhelming. So it's important to remember again that I'm not going to shoulder the responsibility of someone else's life just because maybe I missed a sign. So in learning signs of suicide, it's important to remember that there's also many things that we can't see. And in fact, some people, because they're so caring and concerned about others, they become brilliant at hiding all signs of suicide. And then everybody's shocked and second-guessing themselves when this person completes a suicide. So I think in, in talking about signs of suicide, we need to also really remember and we may not always be able to help people. We may not always be able to see them. And things are sometimes way easier to see in hindsight than they are going forward. With that in mind, there are many that QPR talks about the signs of uh, people withdrawing, people suddenly changing kind of known behavioral patterns that they engage in. Maybe they regularly went to the gym or engaged in a sport or activity and suddenly they're not doing that anymore. Maybe someone who deeply cares about grades suddenly no longer seems to care about school. Again, these are people are in pain. They're trying to resolve the pain, and they're looking for solutions. So their their behavior will often shift and change. Maybe they're starting to realize, 
you know what, I have some nice stuff. I should give this stuff away. You know, again, that deep compassion. They're like, well, my roommate could really use these clothes or those items. And kind of cherished big things that people would be like, wow, that was really generous out of nowhere. They're giving me this stuff. And it's probably because they care and they want somebody else to have this good stuff that they had. So they give away those cherished belongings. And those are a few signs. I, again, I don't want to review them all because QPR does a great job with describing some of those symptoms. I am so grateful that you've taken the time to come and, and share your knowledge with us and the things that you've observed through your career and your many interactions with people. Is there anything else that you would like to, to share or say? Actually, I guess there is one more thing. You'd mentioned perfectionism and and particularly on BYU-Idaho campus, there's such an emphasis on being ministers to one another, like ministering to each other. And that's so important and so because it creates those social connections. And it's also important to remember that ministering does not mean taking responsibility for other people's lives, that it's really important that we let professionals do what they need to do. For example, sometimes people say, well, I, I had to stay up with my roommate all night to make sure that they were safe because I knew that they had thoughts of suicide. If someone's staying up all night with their roommate, their roommate needs professional help. And that's not our role in, in friendships and roommate relationships. Our role is not to do that. It's our role is to get them to get someone them to help, yeah. who can help that out. And so, um, and I, I'm not sure we talked about that, so I want to emphasize that, that we can be ministers. We don't and should not become responsible for someone else's pain when their pain is beyond what we can take care of. If I'm having to miss my classes so that I can take care of somebody, this person has more needs than I'm capable of, mm-hmm. of managing. I need to help them get connected. And that's where that one place, I'm going to let that person know, like, I will keep your confidence. I'm not going to tell anybody around you, but I, I either I can help you get connected to someone, a professional, or I need to tell someone mm-hmm. what's going on for you because you matter too much to me to keep this quiet but I'll still respect it around the people around them and their social circles their confidence that way yeah I think that that um, is just a really good thing to emphasize and one thing that they do really emphasize in QPR training is this is not a full-blown intervention we're not professionals we're just people you know with roommates or spouses or family members or kids or parents I mean you know classmates and if we observe something we can be that safe connection for them and help get them to somebody who can fully intervene and fully help them unravel their thoughts and cope with their pain and instead of thinking that it's all up to me no you you're just simply to refer them to somebody who can who's trained Mm -hmm. and able to you know, shouldered that responsibility right. because that's that's their their job. Right. And you're simply there to be that loving person mm-hmm. that is standing by their side through it. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and you shared so many wonderful things that I think a lot of people need to hear and realize so that we can 
better understand this this topic and and also just realize we just kind of need to have more love in the world <laughs> i think <laughs> i think that that's what it is more love for others and more love for ourselves yeah i i like that appreciation um Maybe sometimes that self-love gets confusing, but it's like an appreciation that my pain hurts too, and it hurts whether people can see it or not. It hurts, and yeah, that appreciation and love enough to say my pain hurts too. I need others too. I'd like to thank Dallas Johnson for sitting down with me to talk about the tough subject of suicide. Johnson is a mental health professional and counselor at a university. I'm your host, Virginia Henry. This is Students of Struggle, the first season of Stories with a Voice, a podcast focused on spreading understanding and compassion about serious topics. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not represent any organization and are solely the opinions of the participants. If you or someone you know is struggling and needs help, please reach out and call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is available 24 hours a day at 1-800-273-8255. Thanks for listening to Stories with a Voice. Tune in each week for new episodes.